Okay. Well, welcome to another episode of the Safety Third Podcast. We're on location here in Cologne, Germany. So it's a pretty cool thing. We're here for the TV Rhineland Functional Safety and Cybersecurity Symposium for Industrial Applications. And it's been a really great, we've only been through one day of the conference so far, but we've already seen a lot of really interesting presentations and met a lot of really cool people. I've got here with me uh, some special guests. So, Stephen, you're here as well. So I am. Yeah, yeah, here sipping on a cup of coffee, watching the sunrise and looking at the Cologne Cathedral. So happy to be here. That's right. First time in Germany. First right? time in Germany. First time in Europe. So. And quite a quite a first trip, I think. So that's good. We've had some adventures so far. We have. We have. Uh, and then we've also got with us uh, Garrett Helmick, who is a, a good good friend of ours and who is also our, I guess it would be, the American Functional Safety Ambassador to Germany. Is that what you would categorize yourself as? Yes. Yeah. Okay, you heard it here first. Tell folks. Me. Yeah. Call me whatever you want. Yeah. So Garrett's here. He's also, uh, he's very familiar with, um, I guess, all things German, I guess I would say. Maybe not all yeah. things, but well, many things. Yeah. I said it in school, my minor, so. Yeah, minor yeah. in German. So Can you give us a little German? Uh Ja, hallo liebe Zuhörer, wir sind heute auf dem Dach in der Nähe von Kölner Dom und äh, ja, wir machen einen Podcast und ja, wir freuen uns sehr auf diese Gelegenheit, so, ja, schon. Okay, ah, das sounds good. That sounds good. good. That sounds like pretty good German to me, but we have another guest here with us. Uh, we have our independent German assessor who is going to assess your German language skills now publicly okay. on the podcast. This is Gabor Schicket, who is... Uh, I would say, who's actually a German citizen as well. Yeah. Right? Yes. As Good of morning. like three days ago. I just got my passport, but I'm yeah. German citizen since like five years. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got it. Um, good morning. It's great to being here with you. It's also great to meet you finally. Yeah, we, we did work for like yeah, give that one and a half years too. and we did not met in person. So it's really great to meet you and being here on the, on the rooftop. And watching Cone. Yes, Great. yes. It's very good. Welcome. So I have to ask you, you know, independent assessment is very important in the safety industry. So can you assess independently Garrett's German? How was it? Was it acceptable? What, what do you think? Would you rate it a SIL a 1 German, SIL 2 German, SIL 3 German, or SIL 4 German? I would not rate it because for us it is not not conforming German, so first there will be some issues we need to fix uh, before we give him a certificate. Spoken like a true but, assessor, right? Yes. <laughs> Always have comments. <laughs> but those comments are, are a possibility to improvement, so it's every mm. time we need to look not as a, as a negative point, we need to look this all as, as something we can get better. And that's the point you need to look and, at any assessments and any, any non-conformities. That's right. So also spoken like a true assessor because you didn't answer how good his German was at all. <laughs> you just made some general comments about continuous improvement and opportunities. And it's a very political answer. I, I like that. I like that. So good. So, so like I said, we're, we're standing here on a rooftop of, I guess it would be a six or seven story building, depending if you're measuring stories, uh, the American way or the European way. Right. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's it would be different. I think technically the elevator said six here. Yep. But uh, so in, probably be seven in Europe. The, the what we would call the ground floor is zero, and what we would call the second floor in America is one. Mm -hmm. Right. So I yep. think technically we're on a seven-story building, and we're looking out. The sun is coming up here <clears throat> across the city. It's a, a nice, cool September morning, uh, and as we look across to the I guess that would be the south. Yeah, we south is that way. We see uh, one of the World Heritage Sites. Uh, so <clears throat> something that the... Oh, congrats, Stephen. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, <laughs> so I'm looking at... Stephen is a World Heritage Site wherever, wherever he goes. I've been told that before. Not the first time I've been told that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Really. That's, that's another, a story for another That's time. another podcast. Yeah, another yeah. story. So, uh, no, so the UN, I suppose, or whoever names these World Heritage Sites. The Queen. The King. The King. Uh, yes, she. Uh, <laughs> so the World Heritage Site is is this cathedral, 
um, that I think, Garrett, you probably know more about this cathedral than, than, well, I, I think anybody who's standing here on this rooftop. But we're looking to the south at this cathedral, and it is towering above us. I would say it's at least a good 100 meters uh, taller than us. Yeah. On top of this building. And uh, it's a beautiful twin spire gothic cathedral. Um, I mean, it just looks like uh, just this something that you could see from the horizon line, mm-hmm. uh, especially if there weren't modern cities built up around. Uh, so, Garrett, I don't know. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about the cathedral and when it was yeah. built and how long it took or do you, do you know these things or am I putting you on the spot? Um, I read them briefly, like an article before we came here. So mm-hmm. I'm just telling that so people will go and fact check when they go home. But uh, yeah, I think it was started in the 1200s. Um, so Cologne was a Roman colony. And so at some point, you know, before the year 1000, there would have been, I think, uh, some sort of um, uh, church or, or what we would think of as like a, um, a religious site on that particular spot. Like a Roman one. Uh, well, when Christians would have come through, then they would have built something on that site. Um, mm-hmm. And I know for the Catholic Church, for a long time, relics were very important. So they actually say that the bones of the three wise men are actually housed in that church. So I believe for a Catholic Church, you can't build a cathedral unless there's um, uh, the bones of a saint there. I think that's that's the case. And so they say that the bones of the three wise men are there. But yeah, so started in the 1200s. Um, I did hear a story that uh, the man who was building it, this is a a story that they told the man who's building it um, wanted it to be done really quickly. So he made a deal with the devil that he was going to give his and his family souls to the devil. If the devil would help him build the the cathedral quickly. And so the story goes that the wife found out about it. And so she sabotaged the plan so that, you know, I guess that their souls wouldn't be given (laughs) to the devil. And so that's how the story goes. This sounds like a good move. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, uh, so and I don't know if that how was long, like, how long did it take then to build? To complete, to it, it, it was 600 years. It wasn't done. The spires weren't done until 1880. Um, and I don't know if that was just money or why that didn't happen. But yeah, for a long time, it didn't have the two spires. And actually one of the spires is like, I think it's like six centimeters shorter than the other. So you can't really tell because obviously they're huge, but wow. they're actually like six centimeters. Gabor could uh, tell because he's an, he's an yeah. assessor. He could see. Yeah, if you're an engineer, maybe you can tell. But, uh, so maybe but yeah. 6.5. I will but, say that when you look at it, though, and we w- kind of walked around it on the outside and went inside a little bit yesterday, when you look at it, it looks perfectly plumb and orthogonal, right? Like, yeah. Like, it looks unbelievably straight Yeah. Uh, for for a building that you said started, let's say, middle, 1200s, of, yeah. middle of the 1200s Something and like finished that. late 1800s. So. 1880, the spires, I think, is when that was that was finished. Yeah. So, and uh, it actually survived. Uh the bombing of the war. And I think that's some people say that's because the pilots used it as a, um, a reference point when oh, they I would see. bomb the area. So obviously not a super cheery topic, but it's interesting that, you know, everything else around it was destroyed in the, you know, the yeah. cathedral lasted, but it's the most visited, um, tourist attraction in Germany. I think it said they get like 20,000, uh, visitors a day. This was pre COVID, but a uh, day, 20,000 yeah, a, 20, a day. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, really interesting. Definitely, definitely recommend yeah. visiting. I think it's also the tallest Catholic church in the world. Think. So is it? I did read that it's the tallest twin spire in the world. Oh, there you go. Or, or it's very close. Yeah, to it. And wow, it's pretty pretty amazing. And <clears throat> I think what's uh, interesting too, and how this is, where how it ties in with safety is, <clears throat> uh, I think the cathedral. I'm no expert on architecture or style, so I'll probably get some of these words wrong. But I think it's a <clears throat> very uh, very good example of gothic architecture right mm-hmm. yeah and so gothic as i understand it is uh characterized by its complexity or its complicatedness of the appearance so <laughs> you have these uh you have a uh, these twin spires that are going up but they're literally covered completely by other mini spires mm-hmm. and statues and ornate um mold i guess you i don't know if it's molding is the right way to say it but <clears throat> ornate carvings into the stone and the concrete and other things and just everything has some complicated if you looked at it like like if you've ever seen a picture of a fractal that just has these very complicated edges that curl in on themselves and move back around 
I think the, the cathedral kind of has that perspective to it. Uh, and so it's a, it's a great example of Gothic architecture. And then if we turn from looking south at the cathedral and we turn just to look to the west, we can see two more examples of buildings that are very, very different. Um, one is what I would call a traditional, not traditional, a, a modern um, skyscraper, skyscraper, a commercial office building, although it's not as tall as the cathedral. Uh, from at least where I'm standing. looks like the cathedral is taller. So very prismatic, uh, rectangular structure that you would see in almost any city. You would see that. And then next to it is uh, what looks like another... Like a T-Mobile tower. T-Mobile Space Needle. Yeah, looks it looks like, like a Space Needle, yeah. kind of. Although it, it is probably older than the Space Needle. I, I don't know. Uh, we'll give them their credit. But it's a, you know, a, a uh, conical tower that's got um, some sort of observation deck or some sort of some sort of structure there as well. And so you can see these differences in architecture, very completely different. And I think what's interesting too is we can talk about them from a safety architecture perspective as well. So yeah, safety systems all have different architectures and many different ones, infinite ones that you could choose, but they're all related to a use case, right? Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think I'd wanted to talk a little bit about that today. So we've got our independent safety assessor, Gabor, here, who who maybe we can talk to a little bit about that. But I want to go back to the cathedral for a minute. So, Stephen, yesterday you walked, first time in Germany, first time in Europe, you walked into this cathedral. I guess we walked around it first and then you walked inside. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what, which was more, which, what, what, where did you... I guess, get impacted by the architecture of the place more on the outside or when you went inside to the cathedral? For me, it was probably when I went inside. Seeing the outside is beautiful, but then seeing that they kept the same level of detail on the inside, I thought was uh, was really beautiful because on the outside, everyone's going to see it, right? Of course, they're going to use uh, incredible detail and incredible beauty on the outside, but on the inside, it seems like they kept it up. Um, for the people actually inside the cathedral. So I, I found that to be um, a cool part of it. Yeah. So, what about you? Well, I think I think the same. So when you look at it today, uh, you think, if you look at it strictly from a commercial perspective, you say, oh, wow, to build that building is so much more expensive than to build the modern skyscraper, skyscraper over there from a just an expense <laughs> perspective. So that skyscraper probably took three to five years to complete, whereas the cathedral took... 600 600 years right yeah and the reason is because of the different use cases so if you think about the purpose of the cathedral and certainly i wasn't there in 1200 when whoever it was came up with the vision for what this thing should be which by the way was a technological readiness level of like zero at the time because if you remember the we had this you had the in in the west i guess you had the roman the greek and roman era where you had all these great advances in mathematics and other things like that. And then after the fall of the Roman Empire, you have what some people have called the Dark Ages for maybe a thousand years almost or more, um, where you didn't see that same slope of, of technological progress, right? Yeah. You, you the exponential kind of, curve plateaued in terms of yeah, right. advances. Right, right. <clears throat> and then, and then, uh, at, at, now, at the end of that period, you see someone coming up with an idea. It's, it, I think, it's similar to saying we're going to go to the moon, or we're going to because this this structure. I can't, I can't convey how large and how unbelievably heavy it is, yeah. and to build something that is perfectly beautiful and perfectly straight is just a really complicated thing. And you're dealing. This is before calculus. Mm-hmm. This is. I think they're probably working on. Um, Euclid's geometry that was probably got back to Europe through uh, scholars that were on the Arabian Peninsula who preserved it during those Dark Age times and then eventually came back through into the Scholastic era. And, Mm. you know, all of those, that's what they're working on. And then whatever know-how they had about masonry, about about, uh, stoneworking, about all of that at the time. And so whoever whoever it was had this picture, some leader had this picture of this 
use case for this structure, which could be political, or it could be religious, it could be all, all, all sorts of different things. And then this person had to convey that vision for that architect, the concept for that architecture and convince everyone to participate and to give so much of their work and their their safety of course right because i would imagine you know it's a it's a construction site so there there was there were safety issues i would imagine too right um and also had to convince them he couldn't just say i'm i'm the king or i'm the whatever just do it right because sh- during the building of this temple you also get in what's now Italy, you get Machiavelli who's writing the prince and advising all of these local leaders how to not lose your kingdom by being the wrong kind of leader for your people. And he gives examples of all these people who lost their kingdom because of the way they treated their people or, or missteps strategically or what have you. So it's just a very complicated case of how to navigate the political and the financial and the engineering aspects of bringing into existence this thing that never been there before. So you got to the point that um, someone had the idea, convinced other people, they all got the financials, they, they made some kind of um, basic idea how it will look like, and then they said, okay, let's do it here, this is a good spot to do it. Uh, how would you start? You, you know that what is kind of the size of the building, you can calculate maybe the approximate weight of the building and, and how you start you start to 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 dig a hole in 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 the ground and and what you put inside there was i think in the concrete it was also different mm-hmm. so there was calculations made or, or it was mm-hmm. everything just made by by last experience oh we had another church 20 years ago we made this yeah. basement but ah didn't hold up so right. you don't see the church anymore yeah. right yeah th- let's that, make this one better that's an interesting one because this is the architecture and the engineering of the building that survived there are many others that didn't right, right. Uh, well that there's another church right next to us and it looks like it probably was bombed out because you can tell the brick is more modern right oh that, yeah that gray one right there yeah 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 there's several other buildings that are you can stand here and see all these other steeples for other other buildings or churches or, or whatever they are. So I think if we bring it back to talking about safety architectures then, right, um, the role of a systems engineer and specifically a functional safety engineer is you meet with people who have some problem and they have some use case that they've defined in their head, whether it's in robotics and you want to move things around a warehouse or it's in <clears throat> vehicles and you want to move people around a city or if it's in many other different, or, or, or in an oil and gas refinery and they want to move petroleum, crude oil, or, or hydrogen or something all the way ac- uh, across a country, and you have this use case that's built, um, then the, the functional safety engineer or the systems engineer has to take that somewhat cloudy use case that's not clear and distill that into a concept that selects an architecture. And I think the temptation as engineers oftentimes is to jump directly to a technological solution, to jump straight to something that we know already. And I would say that probably, well, maybe I'll ask this question of you, Gabor. Um, If we jump straight to a design that's already existed for a new use case, how would, what would you see that as, a helpful path or would you see that as or how would you see that i guess yeah but, okay i'm also not a building constructor uh, but it's i would start with an already existing concept something with similar environment so look that we have we have a river close to this building so we need to think about that 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 water in the in the ground mm. and that's maybe it's 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 not that rigid uh, ground so i would look all around europe as far as i can in the 1200 and look what is the similar we already have Mm. um but really hard to find those 
architects made it. Yeah, right. it's, it's maybe it was a long time ago. They they already died. What is on paper? Do you have any paper on those buildings? Right. Hmm. Um, uh, it's quite difficult. And and what kind of risk assessment would you do here? Yeah, it, it's more about um, oh, we have only just mechanical risks. Let's let's put a bigger dig in the, in dig much much bigger in the, in the ground and make a bigger fundament that that will hold up here uh, but how deep you you dig and everything costs and money right, even at right. that time and and you need to take this money from from the taxes um, and for 400 years just get all this money and think about yeah. there is a lot of wars in that time here too mm-hmm. And, and plagues and famines and other things, right? Yeah. So it, it's interesting, I think, <clears throat> that you said go and survey and look for other ones. So if you're the, let's say, Gabor, that you're the the king in charge of this area or you're the... Or, oh, or no, he is. It, <laughs> <laughs> he is. And you decide that you're going to hire or you're going to call in someone to design this place that you have in your head. Um. And so you send them on a, I don't know if this happened, you send them on a tour of whatever the world is for them, right? To go and look at other buildings that have been made and, and talk to other people who have designed buildings, right? But I would imagine if you send someone out on a horse or a ship or whatever it is to go look at these places, by definition, you're never going to find anything that was built like this. Yes, and you just lost like five years right. and doing nothing. right? Mm-hmm. And then you maybe lost also your position at that time. So you got the idea, you convince people to, to take part of it. You have the spot. So let's start it, let's construct it. And, and we will see. Maybe yeah. that was the idea. Right. And then probably oversize some of the parts just to, to make sure that it will keep the weight. Yeah, safety factor, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's important, too, when you look at it. So these spires, they start out wide at the base, and they get skinnier at the top. I think part of that is uh, part of it is uh, because of what it's supposed to inspire in people as far as this structure that's reaching towards the sky and, and pointing up and that sort of thing. But also part of it is just civil engineering and physics. Like, if, if you kept it the same width going the whole way up, then the amount of stress that's on the foundations is going to be much, much higher than if you narrow it on the way up, right? And if you narrow it the way up, you have a side wind that will not take apart immediately. Right, right. So I think when we go back to thinking about uh, safety systems and selecting an architecture, it really goes back. This is where I think safety systems really have to deal a lot with innovation because now we're getting to the point with automated driving with new technologies where people are doing things like this cathedral. They're building systems that have never been built before. Mm -hmm. You can't look Mm -hmm. into a standard and just pick out the way that it's supposed to be. And you have to, every system in that case, you have to start with what is the use case that is going to be, that 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 system is going to be deployed in. And then directly choosing an architecture that allows you to address the needs of that particular stakeholder. And there's some guidance, of course, in different standards. Here's some representative architectures and, and those sort of things. But I think the, the real key is, tie, is tying it to a particular use case. Just like you said, Gabor, this is, we're on a, a, river, a river plain, I guess it would be. The Rhine River is maybe, I don't know, three kilometers from where we're standing, would you say? Less? Uh, Less half, yeah. half of that. What's that in miles for the American? That's why I guessed wrong. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we're, we're maybe it took us uh, like fifteen minutes to walk there, mile and a half. So it's five hundred meters. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> right. That's yeah. what I was thinking. That's yeah. right. So you know the, the particular conditions, and then what the purpose is. So one of the things that I noticed when we walked around the building, and then when we walked inside, was that. Stephen, just like you said, all the ornateness of what's on the outside carries forward to the inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you walk inside this building, it's not merely to keep the rain out or the snow out or the wind out, but it's also an educational tool. Mm-hmm. Because at the time, uh, most of the world 
was illiterate. And part of that is because it was very, very expensive to make copies of things. Someone had to sit down and literally hand copy every single thing. So it was very difficult to, for any, everyone to have books in their house or whatever it is, right? So it, part of the vision for what this building is supposed to do is also be an educational means. So every single statue, every single stained glass window, uh, some of these windows seem to be, I don't know, I'd say 50 meters tall. Oh, yeah. They're, they're really very, impressive. very, all of them are depicting visualizations of stories that are important to the people who are using the building. Mm -hmm. And so an illiterate person who can't read would be able to go in and look and see these stories. And then, of course, people would talk about it and it would be a collective community education tool, right? Whereas the building off to our right, the commercial skyscraper, uh, it's not meant to be an education tool because we've moved that medium from uh, the building itself, the very concrete ideas, not to have a pun, right, but actual concrete into the text because now we have the printing press and now the internet and all these other sorts of things, right? Mm -hmm. So that use case has changed. So now as a modern person, you may look at this building and you say, wow, it's, it's very complex, very beautiful, but it seems very expensive. Why would you, why would you spend all this expense to do it? So, cause use case was different. Mm -hmm. right? So it, it's similar when you're talking about architectures for safety systems. Now, one thing I want to talk about, maybe, maybe it comes through on the recording is you probably hear a train going by. So right now there's a train going by and depending on how good the noise filtering algorithms are on this, on this uh, recording system that we're using, you may or may not hear it, but right next to this beautiful cathedral is the main train station for Cologne. And the trains are moving by. Uh, and that's a similar case where you have to select uh, a safety system for these trains, right? And they're a, a case where if you have an accident, which is very rare, but if you have an accident, it's a, a huge accident, mm. right? Whereas opposed to a robot that may bump into someone or something, a train that has a safety accident is a totally different thing. So it might be like, I don't know, Gabor, have you ever worked on a safety system for a train before? Uh, not yet. No, no. Yeah. I, I know some, some cases. Today's the day. Gabor. But I was Today's not working on, on the train <laughs> go down systems. There. But I worked on some systems where it was similar, as you mentioned, um, the accidents or occasions happening very rarely. But if it happens, the severity is very high. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, uh, that's all the time a, a strange discussion, yeah? It will never happen, so why would we do anything against it? Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly because if it happens, then we have a big and huge impact. And not only on that accident, maybe for the whole idea of doing things. Right. If, yeah. if there would be one big accident at the beginning of, of trains when it started mm. some hundred years ago, it would one one big accident at the very beginning, then it would maybe collapse the whole thing for, for trains. Right. Yeah, it would not have yeah. trains be deemed right unsafe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just say, oh, yeah. we're not going to do this anymore. Well, <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because there at least with, with steam-powered trains and steam-powered boats and other things, there were huge accidents at the beginning. But they, but but I think maybe people's social perception about accidents was maybe different than than it is now. And and people get accidents because of the steam of the of the steam and of this mm -hmm. kind of things. And and you had other accidents on 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 boats and ships. So it's just another way of of mm. having a ship accident. Right. Um, and also in this industrial revolution, you had to go to work in some, some new industrial facilities using these machines. Mm -hmm. There are some accidents, and but you need to work. You got to pay your bills, yeah? Yeah, your that's food. Right. That's right. Um, so it's not like nowadays that... Um, we really take care of the people who are working there. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a different, a different risk tolerance. It's a different the risk height, tolerance. Yeah. If, if you think, go back to the dome and just think about it was building the dome, it was also a little bit different for the workers than mm -hmm. it would be working right now as skyscraper. That's right. 
that's so different for train now. Mm-hmm. Um, something yeah. happens, you get more. Well, I think that you mentioned the industrial revolution, which took, you know, went all the way from hydropower for uh, steam, uh, hydropower for textiles to eventually steam. And at the end of that industrial revolution, first period, I guess you would call it, now now they say we're in industrial revolution 4.0, the fourth industrial revolution Mm. with connected devices and, and autonomy and those sort of things. But in that time, you had especially when steam came about. And there's a great book out uh, by Václav Schmiel about energy and civilization, if you guys have heard of this before. But he talks about how the big changes in, a, in human life from a technological perspective have really impacted economic and social other ones as well and our ability to transfer energy. You know, originally it's just a human and then a human with an animal and then a human with a river with hydropower, and then a human with coal or a human with oil or a human with hydrogen or, you know, all of these things, all of the major technological changes that have changed the way we live are about our ability to transfer energy. So I think what's interesting here is the, um, we're in a city now where that is also the headquarters for uh, what in the States we call TUV Rhineland, but Garrett, I'll ask you what's how would we say it properly in Technische Überwachungsverein Rheinland. Yes. TÜV. Rheinland. And they're known as uh, I would say probably the premier functional safety certification or one of the premiers, one of the one of the most respected, would you say? Is there most yeah, and and they actually started with these these machines. Yes, their 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 history. Yeah, so they started with the steam machines because there were accidents, and they want to reduce the the amount mm-hmm. of accidents and also mm-hmm. the severity of those. So they started here in Germany uh, to to check these machines independently, right? Um, to save life and also probably to being more effective in in the machinery and industry. Yeah, we heard yesterday from the uh, general manager for this uh, for this country here. He, he explained some of the history, and I think he said it's they just celebrated 150 years, 150 years, years wow. ago, and they they started with exactly what you said, Gabor. The the government said we need to start something that has an independent person who comes and evaluates steam boilers. They go on ships and other things like that to help get a help get a hold of this problem of steam boilers basically exploding because the pressure vessels weren't properly, you know, they're still exploring this new technology, right, at that time, right? So they start this thing, and that's 150 years ago of history of independent assessment, independent certification, and developing those things. And this independent certification started here because of the steam machines in some some Nordic countries. It started with the with the ship factories and mm-hmm. and and assessment of ships. And in the U.S., it started with the electricity and checking yes. those systems. So it's yeah. every time it's something you you want to use and modernize and 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 push a little bit in in the improving of industry of the country and and look what is right now the the standard what is right now the trends we are going to and this is also changing right now yeah we are you mm-hmm. just mentioned hydrogen energy um we can also talk about uh, solar energy which is coming up very quickly everywhere now with also with the changes on the on the energy uh sources mm. just thinking we had also yesterday some some nice presentation about about hydrogen and the hazards of hydrogen, which many people think what's going on with hydrogen. Yeah, we, we know it, but, but we never really go deeper in that, that someone thinks it's just another gas, yeah? Right. But mm-hmm. it's a very different gas, and it's with different hazards uh, because it's a, mm-hmm. it's a small molecule. Right. Mm-hmm. It so, inter- interacts with the materials differently at, exactly. a, at, a, at an atomic level. I think what's interesting, too, is just that you mentioned that this independent safety assessment and certification happens simultaneously and independently all around the world, right? So here in Germany, you had TÜV, the, the, that organization that was developed. 
in the United States, you had the electrical testing laboratories that Thomas Edison founded in the beginning. Uh, you also had, uh, for, that's now become uh, Intertech. And then you have uh, Underwriters Laboratories that's developed. You have, uh, as you, you mentioned, the Scandinavian, the uh, DNV, the Norske Vertars, right? Or I'm pronouncing DNV. And DNV. also in German, the Germanisches Lloyd. Yes. The GL, which is also tested the, yeah. the ships in, in the Nordic of the country. So you have all of these things developing independently at the same time, not because they're coordinating with one another, but because the technology and the society merged together in such a way that the side, society's kind of demanded. I'll, I'll give it like a, an interesting little aside here. I mentioned Edison earlier. Um, I, it probably viewed as one of the most savvy or shrewd businessmen in that era of American history, right? Um, but it's interesting. So when he's developing electrical systems to include the light bulb and other things like that, he was originally, and maybe I'll ask you guys know this. Do you know, you know, do, do you know whether Edison was in favor of direct current or alternating current? Do you guys know? Alternating current. What do you get? Uh, I'll go direct current. I, I forget. Direct so current. contradictory. So Edison was, at first, an advocate of direct current. So DC is what is used. Right now, we use it mostly in cars and, and low-voltage things, but all of our power grid is alternating current. Right? And so at the time, who was advocating alternating current? Well, Nikolai Tesla, yeah. right? right? Tesla is looking for alternating current. And there's this interesting safety discussion that the messaging around it was carefully crafted by Edison to try to convince people that direct current was safe and alternating current was bad. This mm. was very dangerous. Mm. And so, so Edison's architecture for the system was each building would have a generator in the building that would generate electricity for that building, almost like a boiler for a heating system, whatever. And then it would power these. And then you could make these small grids of maybe a, a city block or a neighborhood, right? And so he would build those. But, of course, Tesla, a different kind of genius. So if Edison was a business genius, then Tesla was a physics genius. Uh, and he is advocating alternating current because he's found that if you use alternating current, you can transmit very far distances without loss, which means you can have a centralized power station for an entire city instead of dozens of power stations all across the city, right? So it's a centralized architecture rather than a distributed architecture, mm. which we've been talking about architecture today, right? Mm -hmm. So at the time, there's this back and forth, and they go to the World's Fair and they all these things to present these ideas to the world. There's a lot of work going on electricity in France as well, too, and other places that, that are developing these sorts of things. But Edison, who's in New York State, goes to the state of New York and convinces them to change the, this is a difficult topic, the capital punishment method that they were using at the time. He convinces them to change it from the rope or what have you to using electricity. The electric chair. But the electric chair, but specifically using alternating current so that he can then go and tell people that alternating current is dangerous. You see why? That's how they execute people using alternating current. You should use DC current. You don't want that in your home. You don't want that in your house, right? So you wow. see the, the messaging and the, the how he's shrewd as a businessman. Of course, later on, he buys, uh, uh, Westinghouse comes along, uh, and like Westinghouse is a company still now, right? And there's this interplay among Edison and Westinghouse and Tesla and most people, I think, believe that Tesla Tesla got kind of shortchanged of his ideas and all those things were taken advantage of. And now the whole world runs on alternating current, right? Uh, but it's an interesting thing how, again, it goes back to that distributed architecture or centralized architecture. Mm. And there are trade-offs between the two. Right? Mm. But in the modern world right now, many people are thinking because of the energy situation to have those DC power storages in their basement. That's right. And um, that also brings in new ideas and new hazards. So it's kind of an interesting situation, again, to look uh, 
if you go back to that idea of Edison, now you, you also want to have it at home installed in the basement and what does it really brings for your, your house and would you would you like to have a base in a basement some some kind of 10 kilowatt DC power storage? Well, I think a lot of people want to now that, that so um, you, you're absolutely right. It brings in a new hazard. I think most people are accepting of having alternating current running through their house and training your children. Don't touch this. Don't touch that. Don't put this thing in the outlet. Right. But the new technology that's enabling in-home energy storage, distributed energy storage is of course the lithium lithium ion battery. It's different than the lead acid battery or all those that came before. And it's got a lot of advantages as far as charge cycling and as far as energy density and all of these things. But it also has a, a new hazard that lead acid batteries don't have. You can walk up to a lead acid battery and you can touch both hands on the terminals and nothing well, I don't want to say this because somebody will do it and they'll get hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it, it, the voltage is generally twelve volts, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's. Con, I'll say it this way: in standards, if you're below sixty volts DC, it's considered safe to touch. I'll say it that way. So that way, I'm not advocating. But don't put it on the standards, <laughs> right? So you can do that. That's put why it you on the standards. Put it on the standards. That's why standards are invented. Mm-hmm. You know that, right? So, so the 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 point though is the lithium ion battery. If you if it encounters some sort of abuse of overcharging or undercharging or temperatures, especially high temperatures, then you can get into this situation called thermal runaway, which is you have a chemical reaction that's going on that's generating its own heat, heating itself up more, accelerating it more. Mm. So if you have in your basement this lithium-ion battery system and something goes wrong, it starts a fire that no one can put out it's a it's a metal fire that has its own oxidizer in it and it's burning itself right now i say no one can put out yes of course someone can but traditional firefighting you go up to say an electric car and it has caught fire you can spray it with the hose put the foam on it take the heat away and then the next day it catches fire again yeah. Because mm-hmm. of the abuse of the that it's the thermal abuse that it's encountered, right? So it's a completely new hazard. So you get the advantage of the distributed architecture, and you get power with that. When the city is out of power, you still have it, but now you have a new hazard in your home, and most people aren't aware of it at all. Mm-hmm. And that's where we start introducing redundancy to architecture, right? Mm-hmm. When alternating current, when okay, yeah, we'll run on alternating current, right? But we'll put a lithium battery in our basement just in case. And then we start introducing redundancy in architecture, right? Mm-hmm. Right, but it's um, if you have this energy storage in the basement, you can think about these risks, but risk is about severity and probability. So mm-hmm. how often these things are happening, yeah? Mm-hmm. And you say, oh, it's, it's a rare case. It's okay for me. Or another way, yeah, it's a rare case, but what if it's, happens in my basement as a rare yeah. case. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's a rare case. So, so let's say it's a one in a million case, right? Yeah, we are still flying with airplanes. So Right, right. But think a one in a million yeah. case means one out of every million buildings will have an uncontrollable lithium-ion battery fire. Does it, does High severity, sense? yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, because, so think how many buildings that we have. So it would be, it would end up being a regular current. So there's a saying that I've heard and I really like that says, um, Things that have never happened before happen all the time, right? These strange corner mm. cases like you mm. talked about, the low probability, high consequence events. You sit in a meeting with people and they say, they say, oh, that'll never happen. I've, I've been doing this 20 years and it, it'll, it'll never happen, right? But things that have never happened before happen all the time. Mm. And, and, and at the end, we can come and, and look the risk-benefit analysis. What is the risk and what is really we, we got out of this, this new new ideas and new new technologies mm-hmm. like we see and it's really popular to see if there is an accident happening with an autonomous car it's come in the news but car accidents happening every day right right many many and if this new technology autonomous car can get improving in the future it might not happening that often as 
we human do mistakes and make accidents. Mm-hmm. So let's yeah. take a risk and, and use the benefits out of it. Yeah, I was just looking at the, the cathedral. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe in wrap it up, tying it back to the, the cathedral. But, uh, you know, when they first started that and they cast the vision and, you know, people are given their jobs and, you okay, you know, you, Johan, you're going to work on this part. You're going to build this whole spire, right? Well, the fact is, is Johan's great, 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 you know, great, 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 great grandchildren are going to die before this thing's done, right? right. So he's playing what some, maybe feels like a small part of this grand thing. But here we are 600 years later, right? And, and Johan's long gone. You know, but here we are 600 years later and thousands of people every day admire this grand mm-hmm. thing that was done. And so it's interesting. Then you fast forward to 2022 and what are we talking about? We're talking about hydrogen. We're talking about self-driving cars and all these autonomous systems and cobots and all, you know, and that's, it's almost our story now, right? That was their story yeah. 600 years ago. And this is our story now, you know, and we've built on, mm-hmm. you know, like, so Johan built it and then his son maybe comes along and builds the next part and then generations later they're still working on the 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 roof you know and the stained glass but they kept building on each other i just think it's interesting to think about you know we have we operate under safety uh, restrictions or even standards today that 100 years ago somebody started right and we're still wrestling with it now okay well this is what they said but now we have hydrogen how do we handle hydrogen right and you know maybe 100 years from now people will be building on that using hydrogen who knows how it'll look then Mm. but it you know so we're not building a cathedral, but we're building something else, right? Well, it's the still it's still world building, isn't it? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He's so Johan, the guy that you're talking about. He built. He helped laid laid some stones, or poured some concrete, or or whatever, or placed some glass um, that helped build the world. Right. We're still experiencing today, and I think your point, and I think, is a really good insight. Is from a safety perspective, we're building the world of autonomy right now. That's going to last. It's, it'll be part of the conceptual worldview, the framework mm-hmm. that everyone looks at for mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah, and the the vision for this cathedral have probably changed, right? I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of years of people building it and the plan probably changing, right? Or else the original guy probably had a massive vision for it. And then, you know, 200 years later, a new leader comes along and says, no, I want it to look mm-hmm. like this. I want mm-hmm. it to look like that, which is, I mean, similar to what we deal with in, in autonomy, right? With different people wanting different things and um, mm-hmm. and different projects going different ways. Um, but there, there's a chance that there was a cathedral built um, that maybe had a better architecture than what we're looking at, right? Um, maybe right down the road, in 1400 they started a cathedral that had a better architecture um that had stronger uh, a stronger foundation stronger base um but it may not have been impacted by the external factors like a war right mm-hmm. and so we have like even in autonomy and all these projects we're working on today um those external factors uh, political that that can impact no matter how good your safety architecture is no matter how uh, robust your system is politics can destroy it right Right, (laughs) inside a company's organizations can destroy a project um just like organizations or governments or politics may have destroyed a cathedral that was twice as robust as this cologne cathedral right i think that's a very very good point i would argue that the better architecture is the one that survives and persists right Mm. so that that i think it is a good point that there would be another one but part of i think the difference between Maybe the traditional fields of engineering, civil, electrical, mechanical, they're focused on the things. Whereas a systems engineering perspective, one of the speakers said it yesterday, they're socio-technical systems. They're not only the things, but also the people and the the worldview of the people. And I think there's mm-hmm. a German word that captures it better than the American or, or the, the English uh, worldview. Uh, someone told it to me once. I'm going to try to say it and then our German speakers here will correct me. It's... Welt, Weltanschauung, the, the worldview, the, the Weltanschauung, yeah, Wahrnehmung. What is that? What, how do you say the word? Weltanschauung, but Wahrnehmung is your perspective. It literally means like truth taking. Yeah, yeah. So your so this idea of like your there is the thing that you're making of this cathedral, but the thing that is being made in its particular context of the people and mm. how they're working with it and interacting with it is very important. And it's building out that, that architectural system. I want to, um, maybe we'll come to a close here. I want to say a couple of things. We should really thank the people of, of Cologne or Cologne, Cologne. Cologne 
um, who don't even know that we're here. Most of them. And oh, they do. <laughs> the, the mayor told him the mayor we yeah sure but uh, Stephen called actually <laughs> actually they might not because our the host of this symposium is to friendland which is across the rhine yep. here um and i want to certainly thank them for putting this on and yes. allowing us to come here and enjoy this want to want to thank also some of the great places we've seen in the city yeah like peter's kolsch this yeah. this uh brow house that's yeah, here right? house. so maybe what i would do is rather than me trying to thank them in in english I, w- I wonder if if it would be a good gesture garrett or gabor you gabor. do it yeah. no garrett do it i don't know he's the assessor he's the assessor i, I would think say nothing step- nothing straight yeah what am, I, what am i saying well no just we're just saying thank you to the people and i and they're kind people i'm sure they're going to You're, really mm-hmm. appreciate the effort right you know but if we could just thank them here for your for their hospitality uh for uh, for for the time that we've been here. Ja, also ähm, wir bedanken uns, äh, wir danken die äh, die lieber Bürger und Bürgerinnen von Köln und äh, auch TÜV Rheinland und ja es war ein echt schönen äh, es war ein echt schöner Aufenthalt hier in Köln. Äh, die Stadt ist sehr schön und natürlich Dom und, und ja alles und so ja wir bedanken uns sehr für für die Zeit hier und alles das Köln äh, angeboten hat. How do you do? <laughs> very good. Was oh, very good. Very good. Cool. There you go. And a special shout out and thank you to uh, Peters, right? Yeah. Because we had a wonderful time there the other yeah, night. Yeah, this episode was from Peters Kulsch. <laughs> unterstützt. So, brought to you by Peters Kulsch. Yeah, unknowingly. I, yes. Actually, unknowingly. we don't have permission for the. Yeah, unknowingly. So, if, there's, if that's illegal in Germany, I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> But if you are in Köln, you need to go check it out. Yes, you do. It's it's excellent place. Peters Brauhaus. It's. Uh, South from the dome. That's you, all I know. You know, I also I also want to give I also want to give a personal uh, shout out to one of my wife's very best friends is actually from this city. This is her hometown, mm. and when she heard that I was coming here, she was so excited. And she she told me that I have to try all these things. I have to try a currywurst. I have to try a dinner. I have to try all these. I have to go to the dome. I have to see the Rhine. I have to go to all these places. And uh, really, what she she kind of just prepped me to come to this great city and I want to say thank you mm. to her. So Desiree, if you're out there, thank you. Appreciate it. You may not listen to this, but, but you uh, should, but you should. <laughs> and I will know if you did or not because, Ooh, uh, I just <laughs> thank you. So anyway, so thank, uh, thank you guys, Steven, Gabor, Garrett. Yep. Thank you all. Thank, thank you. you all. It was a pleasure. Yep. Go do good safety.